Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's go there. With Shira and Ryan. Entertainment. Music. Pop culture. LGBT plus news. Let's go there. Starts now. Happy Monday. Hey, 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 hey. Oh, I'm feeling some good vibes today. I mean, you're feeling it. Feeling it a little bit too. It could be because my hair's straight, you know. Girl. I I got a blowout from my boyfriend. My boyfriend's I my mean, new hairdresser. <laughs> I mean, I'm feeling pretty good too. I had a fun weekend. Okay, what it did was, you do? Well, it was my first time. Everyone, listen Doing up. What? This is a major announcement. <laughs> okay, it was my first time going outside, hanging out with a friend in a public space. Congrats! Is there a I clap mean, sound effect? I don't. I actually, I don't. I mean, know. but what well, does that mean? What does it mean? Let's, public let's, space. We've well, we haven't been. Out, we've been on my in my backyard. Lesbian. That's my. <laughs> that's my clap. <laughs> that was amazing. No, I, so I think. Um, yeah, that's true. But it was it was different because I haven't been anywhere like a restaurant mm. or you know anywhere where there's pub like a lot of a lot of people. Yeah, I could see that. And yeah. it was still pretty safe. I had a friend in town, mm-hmm. and he wanted to take me out. He was like, "Oh, let's go out. I'll pay for everything." I mean, we got drinks. There was a hookah situation that okay. happened. It was absolutely. Were you sharing it with each no, other? No, you had your own tips. Okay. You have your own tips, and it was just an absolute moment. But I will say. The it feels like the pandemic is over because people like you come in. You're mm-hmm. supposed to wear your mask if you're walking around. Yeah, people uh, are not ta- doing that. Girl, no. I honestly was a little nervous. Uh-huh. Like I was just like, "What is happening here?" It's weird. But I just got drunk enough to well, not even oh. think about it. Okay. <laughs> good tips, Ryan. For all this no, really. But I mean, the good news is I did get my vaccine today. So where's the clap? The first. Sh- I mean, let's do. Lesbian. <laughs> so that that's a really good thing. I got my first shot. We're going to talk about it a little bit later in the show yes. because I want to take y'all through it. I'm the first one here out of all of us who have gotten their first shot of their vaccine. So I think it's super important to you are the talk first about. to be protected. You are the first one to die, depending on how we'll we see. look. at <laughs> <laughs> Okay, what's trending uh, this hour? Uh, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem said today that she won't sign a bill banning trans women from participating in college women's sports. Sounds good, but the way she said it was just wrong still. The NCAA is a private association. That means they can do what they want to do. And even though it fundamentally, I fundamentally disagree with them when it comes to this issue, if South Dakota passes a law that's against their policy, they will likely take punitive action against us. 
That means they could pull their tournaments from the state of South Dakota. They could pull their home games. They could even prevent our athletes from playing in their league. I'm sorry. She was talking about basketball, so I kind of really just blacked out. like a backwards way of saying that she's not going to sign the bill, but it's because that the NCAA could sue them. So they're not, she's not actually making the, um, the decision her. in a moral way. But an analysis from the Human Rights Campaign earlier this month found that lawmakers in more than half of the states are currently considering bills that would restrict access to sports or health care to transgender people in some way. Uh, so, again, we continue to cover the story. But that was what's trending this hour. We're going to get into the T-Report in the next hour. Uh, but coming up... What? Oh, no. Why are I'm you still... skipping me? She is complete erasure of the T-Report. Yeah, just it delete your T-Report existence. T-Report erasure. I we didn't have enough time. No, we do. Look at her. She don't even know the clock, and we've been doing this forever. So let's dive into the T-Report at this point. Um, because, honey... We got to talk about Kylie Jenner. She has sparked outrage on Twitter over the weekend after encouraging fans to contribute to an online fundraiser for uh, a celebrity makeup artist who was involved in a serious incident and underwent um, surgery last week. And it's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So Kylie posted this link to her friend's GoFundMe asking her followers to donate if they can. Which, of course, guess what? That did not sit right with her fans. They noted that Jenner could have potentially funded the cost that her friend needed because she's a a self-proclaimed billionaire, even though I think uh, the estimated net worth is just under $900 so she's not there yet. Um, But under a list of top donations, a $5,000 donation from Kylie Jenner is listed. A source told Page Six that by the time Jenner had become aware of the request for financial assistance, um, 6000 of the original 10000 goal had been raised. And I guess it's this whole mix-up. Like, she wasn't really trying to ask people to donate. Like, she already had donated half of the money. And people thought, well, why aren't you just taking care of it all? Because you shouldn't be asking poor-ass poor me to donate when you got all this money. And so it just looks bad regardless you know, if you think yeah. about it. Like, this person already had it up, and she contributed and then shared it. Yeah, Which is a nice yes. thing to do. But, uh, like, she wasn't going to tell that person to take it down, necessarily. No, she wasn't. And so, I do think people are being a little hard on her, but I also do think she kind of shot herself in the foot. Because, girl, you should have just, like, left it alone and just paid whatever they needed to if this is your real she was friend. doing something good, which got taken the wrong way. That yeah. Sorry, Kylie. Um, but I got more T-Report coming up in the next hour. We're talking Sandra O. Oh, and her powerful speech this weekend. So you'll want to stick around for that. Okay, now Biden's White House is firing staffers for marijuana use. Why that's happening when it's legal in D.C. next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Daily Beast reported Thursday night that dozens of young White House staffers have been suspended, asked to resign, or placed in a remote work program due to past marijuana use. What time are we living in again? Uh, That's even though some staffers were informally told by higher ups ahead of formally joining the administration that they would likely overlook some past marijuana use, only to be asked later to resign. And uh, by the way, if you're wondering, Washington, D.C. legalized possession of marijuana for recreational use in 2015. Uh, Richard Fowler is back with us, Fox News contributor. Richard, what a time to be alive. What is going on here? What happened? Listen, uh, what a time to be alive is right. Um, listen, so here's, this is all based on a form that we call in D.C., the F-87. If I'm, I'm, getting that, I'm getting those numbers wrong, so I apologize. But basically, there's a form that, that, that people who work for the president or who work for the administration are asked to fill out 
This form is utilized by the FBI and other intelligence agencies to determine security clearances. And they basically, they're used to ensure that you're not, you can't be extorted by federal aid, by foreign governments or by, you know, nefarious actors to sell, sell state secrets or anything like that. But, um, you know, it, they also ask you for your detailed history of your drug usage, including marijuana. And unfortunately, this White House has decided that they're going to err on the side of being stuck in the times instead of, you know, being where the rest of the country is when it comes to uh, legalizing marijuana. And I think the reason we always knew this was going to be a problem as more and more states began to legalize weed, right? Because what was going to end up happening over time was federal law was going to bump up against state law. And when it was one state, it was one thing, but now we're at about, what, 20-some-odd states. A majority of the country lives in a place where weed is legal. Uh, and so now you have a majority of the, you have these staffers who are saying, well, I smoked weed because it's legal where I live, including mm-hmm. in the District of Columbia, right? It's now legal. It's in the legalization process in Virginia. It's legal in Maryland. So it's legal here. But now you're telling me that I can't get a job because I smoked it, even though I told you I did it. Yeah. This is part of the problem. And we knew this was going to be a part of the problem. Mm. And it's really sad that the Biden administration hasn't really wanted to step forward into modern times by saying we're going to change this rule because the president has the ability to change it. See, here's the thing. I think um, I and I wonder, do you think this was uh, Biden shooting himself in the foot? Because I think a lot of people are already. Um, still on the fence with him and this administration. And it just seems like he promised a lot of progressiveness when he was running. There was a lot of progressiveness at the table saying we're going to get all of these things done. But it seems like he's kind of going a little bit back on that. What would you think is his reason on doing that and playing it safe? Well, to be honest, Ryan, and to be fair, um, Joe Biden, for the entirety of his campaign, has been pretty clear on his position on marijuana. He has not been somebody that was pro-legalization. He's always been pro-decriminalizing marijuana, but he has not been pro-legalizing it. Um, and I think we're seeing the impact of having a, of a candidate, and now president, who doesn't necessarily believe that legalization of marijuana is the way to go. Uh, I think the good news for folks who believe that we should legalize marijuana is that I think that there's an appetite in the United States Congress, both in the House and in the Senate, um, to legalize marijuana. And I think that appetite is bipartisan, even given the fact that the former Speaker of the House, John Boehner, um, has, you know, he sits at the, he's, the, he's, the, he, he, he's on the board of a weed company um, <laughs> that wants to profit off, profit off of weed legalization. How problematic is this, like, I'm looking at it, how it could impact others in the workplace and how cannabis can be used to discriminate against workers. Well, absolutely, Sharon. I think that is the number one problem. Uh, cannabis has been used to discriminate against workers for a very long time, especially workers of color. And let me be even more specific, black workers, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, black workers and, and Hispanic Latinx workers have been have lost many jobs because they couldn't pass drug test because they happen to, you know, smoke a joint last night or smoke a joint two weeks ago or smoke a joint at a family function. Uh, And I think we really need to do a better job of this country of not letting weed get in the way of work, Um, because all the all the evidence points to the fact that you could be very effective at your job. And on the weekend, you could decide that, you you know, you want to smoke a peace pipe and there should be nothing wrong with that. We love you, Richard Fowler, Fox News contributor. Thanks for being here again for this convo. You guys take care. 
Coming up on the show is the vaccine eligibility widens. Johnson & Johnson shots aren't reaching enough people. Why that's happening next. According to an article in Politico, Johnson & Johnson's single-use shot is being unused. What's going on? Rachel Rubine is with us, a healthcare reporter for Politico Pro, focusing on doctors and hospitals. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. So why is this specifically happening with this vaccine? It's a great question. Uh, that's something that we were wondering as well. So uh, just for quick context context, Johnson & Johnson's single-shot COVID vaccine was supposed to be the catalyst for the country's uh, return to normal. It's the only vaccine that is a single shot. And so when we look at the data, 2.4 million shots have gone into Americans' arms, that's according to CDC data, out of 4.3 million shots that have been delivered. And now we've heard uh, a few different reasons why. Uh, we talked to two senior administration officials that said they believe states are conserving their Johnson & Johnson supplies until there's enough to reach underserved communities and specific groups. And my colleague Aaron Bonko and I also talked to state officials that say they're using whatever they get as soon as they get it. Um, some, some of them are using it to target populations that are harder to reach for the second shot. And they say that that takes time to schedule and to set up appointments. Yeah, but weren't scientists and public health experts kind of cautioning people to not do that? Like to kind of say that this J&J shot was for specific groups? Um, that is uh, something that earlier this month, scientists and public health experts talked about. And they cautioned against recommending J&H shots for specific groups, worried about perceptions the shot would be different from others. So, for example, uh, the, some of the states that I talked to, West Virginia, they have started to, to use it um, to inoculate like their homeless or homebound populations, but they do anticipate broadening out the shot to, um, to, to everybody and using it more widely once they have more supply. Yeah. And how is this being tracked? Is it, was it being tracked differently than the others? Um, so that's a great question. The uh, CDC has a public dashboard that uh, breaks it out by how much vaccine has been used by different manufacturers. And um, each state kind of collects their own data. They send it into the CDC so sometimes there are uh, reporting lags there. Some uh, states have some data on their website as well. Um, and there's also data on the CDC's public dashboard. What's the solution for this? Like, now that we know all this, where do we go from here? That's a great question. Um, so the White House Biden officials have... Uh, warned for weeks that the Johnson & Johnson rollout would be bumpy. Uh, they have said that that is because there was only a limited supply at the beginning. And uh, White House officials and other public experts do hope the distribution and think the distribution will smooth out when there's more supply of the vaccine, when more becomes available. Yeah, I do wonder, because I, I know in your article, you said that the J&J shot was shown in trials to be less overall effective than Pfizer or Moderna. So isn't it kind of a good thing that they're kind of holding off to not give that and maybe kind of they can work on, I don't know anything about pharmaceuticals, but it seems like, well, if it's less effective, maybe they can spend some time working on it and get it to be more effective. 
So Johnson and the Johnson and Johnson vaccine is very effective against severe disease and hospitalization. And if you listen to um, Dr. Fauci and other White House officials and and other scientists are saying, take whatever shot you can get. It is effective against very severe disease. Mm. So that has been really the message that um, it is it is effective against very severe disease and it's it is effective against the coronavirus. Awesome. Okay, well thank you so much for your reporting and for being here today. That was Rachel Rubine, healthcare reporter for Politico. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Now coming up on the show, Trump is returning to social media. We knew this was coming. It's finally here. He's launching his own platform. More details on that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We thought this was going to happen and it got announced yesterday. Former President Donald Trump is coming back to social media. He's coming back to terrorize us. I mean. How wonderful. We thought it was over, but the break ends very soon. Mm. And he's going to have his own network. I mean, we're not, are we shocked? No. Is this the, the big moment? That were shocked? I was just making that very dramatic. You love that. Uh, but yes, this was revealed by a Trump spokesperson who told this to Fox News Sunday. It got dropped as we wrapped up our relaxing weekend. Uh, Jason Miller, a longtime advisor and spokesperson for Trump's 2020 campaign, told Howard Kurtz on Fox's Media Buzz that Trump will be returning to social media in probably about two or three m- months. And yes, he's going to have his own... Pr- platform that will attract and i love they always use these vague big numbers tens of millions of new users i mean they might be right (laughs) like i think i think we have to be kind of realistic about it because the numbers that we saw um and actually i was in a room on clubhouse i hate that we keep bringing this kind of sophisticated whatever this app is but um i was in a room with clubhouse and a guy was speaking um it was about a a room about the future of the gop and i like to kind of just pop in to see what republicans are talking about sometimes Mm -hmm. and um there was a guy who said he did not like in 2016 did not like trump at all he couldn't stand him but he said in 2020 Mm-hmm. He voted for Donald Trump. Mm. He saw what Donald Trump could do and, and kind of got done. And um, kind of got done. I know. That's what he said. That <laughs> is literally what he said. And he said he was a Trumper all the way. And it's so interesting where I think that is a huge reflection of what we saw in the election with Joe Biden and, and Trump, unfortunately. Oh, and with them already having everyone's information, cell phone numbers, emails, you send one blast yeah. to this new network. And how many people are going to get? Oh, do you want to huge? Do, you want to do something fun? What? Guess what Trump's social media network is going to be called. Just guess it. Is there a name yet? Trump Network. Ew! Is that all you could come uh, up with? The Don. Oh, now I like the Don. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like where you can pick up escorts, but I, <laughs> I like the Don. I was going to say something corny like Trumplandia or something like Landia or something. I don't know. Like you mix in Trump and Melania. And make I don't think land. he wants to give her attention. <laughs> this is all about him. Let us know what you think. Will you be joining Trump's new social network or at least peeking inside like and, to check it out? And the good thing about it, you won't have to go on it. 
Because it's not like it's on Twitter. It's not like it's on Facebook. You won't have to go on it. So you I can don't know. pretend they like might... it's there and it's not there. But they might. Oh, yeah. I thought you meant to just like watch. No, no, no. You don't have to go on. I think that's the good thing about him coming out with his own place. True. Like creating his own little island and just shipping everyone over there so we don't have to that deal is, with it. I, I honestly rather you do that. Let us know what you think at LGT Show on social media. Coming up on the show, could DC finally become a state? More details next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Uh, Welcome back. And coming up this hour, how to prevent burnout at work as we move through the pandemic. And who to blame it on? Because it's not always about you. I blame it on you. Okay. I blame it on you too, Vanessa. Great way to take accountability. I blame it on everyone in this room. (laughs) We're all in this together. (laughs) And uh, making tech queer and trans friendly is about more than just hiring. We're going to be getting into that in 30 minutes as well. Super quick. I want to um, shout out a listener from Friday. Yes. Oh, my God. I'm trying to find the tweet. It's kind of embarrassing. just tweeted so much. I thought it was going to be like right here. But yeah, you're right. I I do tweet a lot. Um, But we were in the T-Report. We were talking about Caitlyn Jenner. And we had a listener um, who tweeted me. Her name is Diana Marie. I hope you are okay with me putting your whole name out there. But um, I just said Diana. I could <laughs> but I liked her <laughs> I liked her name. Um, but thank you for listening. We appreciate you. And y'all, if you want to join the conversation online, LGT Show or um, at Sheer Lazar or yeah. at the Slay God G-A-W-D. And um, yeah, we'll continue to do these little fun shout-outs. We like it. Exactly. Get involved. Because I know you got some thoughts. Right? Yeah. For real. If only we could tweet with our brains without actually having to do it with our fingers. I don't I don't want you to do that. So. Moving on. Let's <laughs> turn this hour. The House Oversight Committee heard statements today from Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser and others on a bill to consider statehood for the District of Columbia. Here's Chair Representative Carolyn Maloney. Adding D.C. statehood and adding a state should not be about politics. It's about equality. It's about democracy. It is the responsibility of Congress to ensure that Americans are given their full rights demanded by the Constitution. And a new national poll uh, from Data for Progress and the Progressive Advocacy Coalition Democracy for All 2021 action finds that 54% of likely voters think D.C. should be a state. And that's a record high level of support. Now, uh, we got to get into this NFT situation, these non-fungible uh, tokens, these I, digital assets that people sell. Every time there's money. something like new and techie and nerdy out, that Shira like just has like, I don't know, it feels like she's literally about to jump out of fever. her body. She's like into it so Trendy much. fever. This is what turns her on. It's what. her kink. I'm not even that techie or nerdy, but I have a, ner- a nerd. You are most definitely yeah, nerdy. I was to say, What? I know ones people that are nerdier than me. But, of course, so they're, on the scale, yeah, there's nothing wrong with being nerdy. No, I embrace it. Well, Twitter boss Jack Dorsey sold his first tweet as an NFT. So just literally a picture of his tweet. He sold it to someone for $2.9 million today. That makes no sense. The rich are getting richer. It makes no sense. That's honestly how you do it. I think this is an illegal way of them selling, like, putting their money in offshore accounts. So they can, like, I don't know. I think something, a scandal is going to happen with this, and it's not going to be good. Meanwhile, while there's uh, people like him doing this, there's also what I love about this is there are artists who would typically maybe not make money, making a lot of money. It's good. This is going to be a revolution for artists. Artists. Or a scam. Krista Kim sold a digital house 
a digital house for $500,000. So she sold her Sims game. So she built a house so on Sims. If you're good on Sims, there, tell your parents, if you're a child listening right now, a teenager, and you have been dragged for being online on Sims and all that for too long, just tell your parents you could make like half a million dollars. It's embarrassing. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so really quickly, if Shira was a cartoon character, she would be Miss Frizzle from the Magic School Bus. Oh my God, I love that. <laughs> I just wanted to put that out there. That was my own little tea, but I, I just, it just hit me. She's great. Um, but no, let's talk seriously. Sandra O oh delivered an incredible and passionate speech this weekend in the wake of the Atlanta spa shootings that happened last week. It is time for your tea report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. She made a surprise appearance at a Stop Asian Hate a protest in Oakland, Pennsylvania, which had no clue that there was an Oakland, Pennsylvania this Saturday. Um, but I wanted to take the time out to play a little bit of what she had to say because it was really great. To our communities, reach out. Everyone here, I will, I will offer, I will challenge everyone here. If you see something, will you help me? Yes. If you see one of our sisters and brothers in, in, in need, will you help us? Yes. And so we must understand as Asian Americans, we just need to reach out our hand to our sisters and brothers and say, help me. And I'm here. And just for one thing, I am proud to be Asian. I want to hear you say, I am proud to be Asian. She is a mm. real one. Can, I mean, honestly, I think everyone probably fell in love with her character on Grey's Anatomy. Um, and then, of course, if you watch Killing Eve, I think she's just an incredible person and human. And she's stepping up and, and being, I think, what she always was, an activist and an advocate at heart. And she's there for her community. So I really, really appreciate it. She's that. Canadian. Another great Canadian. <sighs> just saying. Yeah, so that's your tea report. If you want to know any more about the story and find out where Oakland, Pennsylvania is, head over to WeirdChannelQ.com. During, while we were playing the clip, I'm like, Ryan, is it Oakland, California? I no, said, Oakland, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I was like, I've never heard of Oakland, Pennsylvania, but maybe it's like a, a replica. Anyway, um, I got more tea report coming up next hour, so don't y'all go anywhere. Now, coming up on the show, how to deal with burnout and how your team at work can support you. Those tips next. We talk about burnout a lot here on the show, uh, but there's not necessarily a quick fix. We all wish there was. While many of us hold ourselves accountable for the solution, which is great, the answers can also be found within your workplace. And Paula Davis is joining us right now, the founder of the Stress and Resilience Institute, author of Beating Burnout at Work, Why Teams Hold the Secret to Wellbeing and Resilience. Thanks for being here. This is such an important topic. Thank you so much for having me. And I agree, especially these days. Yeah. And the, and the angle you're taking is also important because I think uh, we obviously all talk about what we could do, right? You know, uh, doing your own personal stuff at home and also what you should ask for at work. But let's talk about where, where you think um, it can begin really in the workplace. Yes. Yeah, so, so that individual lens or focus isn't wholly wrong. So I don't want people to of think, course. you know, we should just, you know, get rid of some of those strategies that we talk about. Um, but what the research is very clear about and what I have learned through, uh, you know, my, my many interviews with people who have burned out in my own experience is that the organizational environment and your the culture that you work in plays a huge role in whether burnout happens or not within organizations. And it's oftentimes completely ignored. 
And so from my perspective, as I was thinking about, you know, taking a step back and thinking, okay, we need more than just the individual approach, but it's really hard to tell organizations that they have to change their cultures. Where is the best entry point kind of in the system? And so for me, that became wanting to take a focus and look at teams because teams are very much little mini systems or mini cultures within the big organizational culture. And there's lots of great research uh, telling us how teams and leaders in particular can uh, influence that environment. Well, that's the thing. I think leaders are still trying to figure out how to kind of foster a connection with their team while being at home, working remotely. It's completely new to everyone. So what's some recommendations that you're giving leaders to kind of really work on that connection? That's such a valid point. And it's it's really a challenge. Uh, you know, it's hard enough when, when we're all in person and it becomes even more difficult in this virtual world. Um, but there's some small strategies that leaders can can prioritize really small, just little behaviors and really paying attention to those small five or 10 minute sort of interactions that they have with people can really go a long way to fostering a sense of trust and connection within the team. And it's things like just being accessible and approachable. So both of those are important. So it's not just, can I find you, but are you then like available? Like you're, you're willing to talk to me. You're not, you know, grumpy or upset about the last meeting that you just had. And so you're, you're available and approachable. Um, it is simple things like just saying thank you a little bit more, um, making sure you're providing transparency and ongoing status reports to your teams about things that are going on, making sure that you're really um, seeking out everybody's contributions and ideas and perspectives on the team. Um, oftentimes, I find that leaders are just going from meeting to meeting to meeting, and uh, you know we're losing uh, the ability to really um, connect with each of the team members. So it's small things like that. Definitely. And what about getting a sense if someone is going through burnout? Uh, what does someone, a leader do, right? Because I think that there's this feeling of like, do I want to bring something up? Is it really something to be, uh, you know, taken seriously? Because uh, an employee might or a team member might not say anything, even though it's obvious that they're falling apart. Yes. And I, I find that that's a very common question. And leaders really are are definitely interested in, in how to handle those types of situations. And the guidance that I usually give is that I know from my own experience having burned out and, and in talking with other people, I think almost everybody either says, I'm so glad somebody said something to me, or I wish somebody would have said something to me if they noticed that I was, you know, particularly stressed. And so I give a little bit of a model in the book um, for how to go about doing that. So it's, before you have the conversation, just thinking about, you know, what are some goals that you want? What are you trying to convey? Are you just, you know, offering support? Or is this a serious situation where somebody might need some additional resources? And then um, just part two of that is, is just a little template that I have in the book in terms of like what you can think about in terms of crafting very intentional talking points so that when you go to have the conversation, you're not scattered, you're more focused, and it's very, um, very concrete and intentional when you have the conversation. Well, here's the thing. I, I have a POV here because I think it takes some self-awareness from the leader to even understand the environment that they're creating. And oftentimes, these kind of new age burnout conversations are really met in the kind of like the younger millennial startup world where those leaders are going to those retreats or going to, they, they, right, they just get it. And so there feels like there still needs to be a bridge where, you know, connecting old school and new school when it comes to how to make a more, um, I don't know, workable environment that doesn't feel like you're just still dealing 
dealing with the stress of old school rules. Yes. And that's a tremendous part of what I do. And it's one of my big goals with all of this work is to simply offer the education because we're talking, we've been talking about burnout incorrectly or partially correctly for so long that I'm not even sure that a lot of uh, leaders in fact are aware of what we should be even focusing on if we're talking about having the right conversation with burnout. So there's a very baseline level of education that needs to happen um, so that that self-awareness or awareness generally can be built within the leader and the team. And so that the right messages can start to be given to employees and, and the right conversations can start to be had to create the type of environment that's going to make burnout less likely to happen. Okay, that was Paula Davis, author of Beating Burnout at Work, Why Teams Hold the Secret to Wellbeing and Resilience. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Coming up, how companies can make tech queer and trans friendly, and it's more than just about hiring. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. As tech companies are looking to step it up for their queer and trans workers, building an inclusive and safe space is more than just about hiring. Joining us right now is R.C. Woodmass, the founder of the queer feminist anti-capitalist design agency uh, called Queer It, also from my hometown of Montreal, represent. Welcome to the show. Yes. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Here we go. Everyone's pushing the Canada agenda. Uh, So... um, Yeah, I mean, this topic is so important because tech companies are trying to do, quote unquote, better with hiring. But uh, specifically when it it comes to inclusion, it's not just about hiring. It also goes into how the tech is being uh, built in terms of algorithms um, that possibly work against the LGBTQ plus community. Is that what you're seeing? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think we all know, you know, systemic racism is a thing, but systemic transphobia and homophobia is also a thing. You know, society is like structurally not built for us. And so, you know, you're not going to get any sort of algorithm that's going to be able to generate, you know, um, a product or data um, that's uh, outside of what society might already have. Right. So, yeah. Um, it's super important to have queer people and trans people especially building these things because they they have we have the perspective to be able to see when things are kind of going awry or when something is um, is discriminatory. Yeah, and I think, you know, Shira Shira kind of mentioned that, you know, tech companies are trying to do, are trying to kind of make, you know, their spaces more inclusive and diverse, but I want to know, does are they actually really? Because I still feel like we, we see a lot of the same problems. So how far into it are we actually progressing? That's totally right. I mean, there are certain arguments, as you mentioned, hiring um, for why, you know, people who are really concerned with the bottom line should hire queer and trans folks. And, you know, that's real. I guess there are definitely benefits. Um, we're awesome. So, of course, you're going to make more money when we're around. <laughs> but, you know, what's like... What's really important to me, and I think to a lot of queer and trans folks, is like, how are we actually being supported and given a safe space to work and a non-discriminatory space to work so that we don't go to work and, you know, worry about, oh, my God, um, which bathroom am I going to use today? Is, uh, you know, Ken from finance going to bully me again? But actually be able to use our voices and use our skills and feel good about that to make a difference in the tech that we're building. Um, and also, I, I think people don't realize in terms of the systemic issues of it. Well, they realize, but it's not no, just about 
All right, so we're informing. Uh, tech is, isn't just being built by possibly people who aren't, aren't representing these communities, but also the investors don't see po- possibly those biases or those blind spots because also a lot of investors have typically been white, cis, hetero men. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, there's socioeconomic factors that come into that, right? I mean, we've got Arlen Hamilton, you know, black queer woman who's doing amazing work in that kind of investing space. But other than that, and a few other smaller investors, there's really not, we're really seen as the other still in the tech industry. And that's really too bad because queer people come with so many ideas for how to change things. And uh, and tech is all about that, right? Isn't tech supposed to be about the disruption of dominant processes and cultures? And, you know, how do you do that without queer people? You know, we're, we're the experts. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that you said that. And I, we want to keep this conversation going because I love that you and your company um, say that you are anti-capitalist. And I, I think that's really interesting. So I want to know what that means. And uh, we're going to keep you on because you are really preaching. You're saying some good stuff today. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. Once you get me started on anti-capitalism, I really can't stop. So you're going to cut me. You're going to have to cut me off. <laughs> Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are back talking about making tech more queer and trans friendly and inclusive. R.C. Woodmass is back with us, the founder of the queer feminist anti-capitalist design agency called Queer It. Yeah, so I I thought it was so interesting that your company says you are anti-capitalist. And I I guess I'm a little confused because I'm like, if you're a company and you make money, that inherently kind of is capitalism. So what what do you mean by that? And can you break that down and why that's so revolutionary? Oh, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, this is a common misconception of capitalism in that, you know, capitalism is not the only economic system and the exchange of money or, you know, barter for goods and services, it does not necessarily equal capitalism. So um, a lot of the definitions of capitalism come with, you know, like the, the definition of, uh, of, uh, of the ownership of uh, the means of production, right? Yeah. So, you know, like factory owners, stuff like that, people like that. And what we're trying to do at Queer It is to, number one, uh, reduce the harms that capitalism um, causes in queer and trans communities. So, number one, we don't, <laughs> we don't charge less for our work. We actually charge a lot more for our work. And what we do is we have a special calculator that we use to figure out, okay, what, do we, what sort of money do we need to earn oh, in wow. order to thrive in this world? And that comes back to that hiring thing, right, where it's like, okay, we need to feel safe. We need to feel good if we're going to do our best mm-hmm. work and be able to actually change the world like we want to. That's right? beautiful. So that's number one in terms of capitalism. And that's more of kind of a harm reduction approach to anti-capitalism. And then the second thing is uh, really looking at structural innovation um, on the level of business. So, for example, right now, Queer It is about to incorporate and we're working with a lawyer who's also an anti-capitalist lawyer, also queer, obviously. And um, we're trying to build in legally holding ourselves accountable to not put profits before people. And so for us, that looks like um, applying for a B Corp certification, uh-huh. which people can run a web search. I'm sure you guys have heard about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also just like, how do we build democracy in, you know, like nonprofit, co-op, Corporate, those are all corporations in Canada, um, probably a similar sort of structure in the U.S., 
and ultimately they're all, you know, state shareholder profit first. And there are various harms that come with a nonprofit status or even a co-op status. And we're trying to really examine that and change it and hold ourselves accountable. Love, love all of this. It's so needed. And then how are you, you know, in terms of being a design agency, making your work inclusive as well? Yeah. Oh, oh, my goodness. Okay. So I'm really excited right now about consent. So um, with GDPR yes. and all of <laughs> Sorry? No, I'm just excited about that. I'm just like, you're leading with consent. That's a great. That's great. Right? Yeah. It's really exciting because, I mean, you know, your average sort of business or corporation on their website will try to kind of like get as many cookie permissions out of you as possible. So they try to trick you using design dark patterns um, to accept cookies and accept surveillance, essentially. And so what if we built websites, and we are, (laughs) what if we built websites um, that put consent first? So not actually collect any cookies and treat cookies as like, or, you know, track what cookies allow us to track our visitors, right? So um, have our visitors give us as a gift, like frame it as a gift, frame it as something truly, um, truly consensual um, in order to allow us to track who they are and potentially reach out to them in the future or just gain knowledge um, because they want to help us do better. Yeah, right. And RC, I, I have a quick question because uh, we're wrapping up here. I, I want to give you about 30 yeah. seconds. I want to know, do we think that we'll ever see the end of algorithms? Because obviously we know algorithms can be very <laughs> problematic and biased. But do you think in, in the world of tech, if you can quickly kind of put that into an answer, <laughs> do you think we'll ever, it'll be the end of it, you know? Yeah, I mean, no. I think my answer is no. Um Once something is kind of out there, I think it's really hard to go back. But I think what we will see is just more um, consideration, both legally, so by, you know, government and law, um, and by tech companies themselves. So just consideration of the impact. And, uh, you know, we're algorithm, AI, all of that, we're really in the baby stages of all of that. Mm -hmm. And so in a couple of decades, it'll be really interesting to see um, what sorts of people have made an impact on how algorithms are used? Yeah. I'm really excited to see the future of queer and trans people in tech. Yes, more ethical algorithms, that's for sure. That's R.C. Woodmass, the founder of Queer Feminist Anti-Capitalist Design Agency called Queer It. Have a great night. Thank you. Thank you so much. Coming up on the show, Arkansas legislator has passed a bill to allow EMTs and doctors to refuse to treat LGBTQ plus people. How it can get stopped next on What's Trending This Hour. With Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up on the show, when to stop eating before bed according to experts. That's in 15 minutes. And the religious community who supports the Equality Act despite Republicans saying they're against it. We're going to be getting into that this hour on the show. Uh, But we have got some breaking news on what's trending this hour uh, police in Colorado have responded this afternoon to reports of an active shooter at a grocery store in South Boulder. Uh, here's a father of a witness being interviewed on CBS News. I got the call from my daughter that my grandchildren and my son-in-law were walked into the pharmacy for him to get a COVID-19 shot. And the shooter came in, shot the woman in front of them. They hid, ran upstairs or hiding in a coat closet for the last hour. 
and trying to stay in contact with my daughter. They're okay. They just are now out the back. They had, you know, a half a dozen um, stormtroopers, you know, half a dozen cops came in through the roof, got them, and then told them, you know, stay quiet, and they, they're okay. How scary is that? Yeah, it just, I mean, we just had a shooting last week. And um, unfortunately, we have another one. It, it, uh, I got to quote our program director, if he's okay with me quoting it. It just it seems like America's back, unfortunately. It seems like we're seeing the same things. People have gotten their vaccines, if he's even gotten one. And we're seeing these shoot, active shooters. It, it feels like we're never going to get to the point of gun control in this country. Lives are going to be taken. We don't even know if anyone has died or is hurt right now. Like, yeah. we don't even know that. But that is still a scary, scary situation. Definitely. And according uh, to the CNN affiliate, a helicopter recorded a shirtless man being taken from the s- supermarket with blood on his arm. And the man was taken away in an ambulance. It was unclear whether the man was involved in the reported active shooting inside the store. And yes, ambulances, multiple law enforcement agencies are currently outside of the store. And so, yeah, if you're wondering, it's the uh, King Supers, a supermarket brand of Kroger in the Rocky Mountain area of um, Boulder, of, uh, yeah, Boulder, Colorado. So in case you know someone there or you live there, just please stay safe um, and reach out to those in that area. Yeah, the FBI Denver just tweeted three minutes ago, at the request of the Boulder Police Department, FBI Denver personnel are assisting with an investigation to an active suitor situation at King Super's grocery store. Um, so, yeah, now I guess the FBI and stuff is involved. This is really intense. I'm, I'm sending so much love to anyone and, who's involved or dealing with this. Yep, and we'll keep you updated throughout the show as news breaks around this. And we're here till uh, 6 p.m. Pacific. That's 9 p.m. Eastern here on Channel Q. Uh, but moving on, a proposed legislation in Arkansas is being called one of the most excre- extreme and deadline deadly anti-LGBTQ healthcare bills seen in years. It's called the Medical Ethics and Diversity Act, and it seeks to give medical workers a right to refuse providing health care to someone because of the worker's religious, moral, or ethical beliefs. And that could open the door for LGBTQ people to be denied life-saving service from doctors, nurses, or EMTs. Advocates are currently pushing for Governor William Hutchinson to veto it. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so I have a question. Is Ellen DeGeneres finally losing her status as America's number one lesbian? I know this is a hard pivot, but it's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So following a, you know, a difficult past few years, I think especially last year, um, Ellen went through a lot. Um, She's facing some new challenges, a large drop in viewership. DeGeneres has lost over a million viewers since the beginning of 2020. Now, that may not seem like a lot. Um, Her show has averaged 1.5 million viewers uh, an episode. That, I mean, that is a lot of people, but I think... When you compare it to what you're seeing now, or last year, um, she was averaging like 2.6 million viewers last year. So to have lost that a million viewage, that's like basically a 43% decline in viewership. According to Nielsen, she's lost 38% of her core audience, audience, adult women under 54, and she lost around $25 million in ad revenue. Um, also, no shade. This also the there's a, also the growing popularity of uh, Kelly Clarkson daytime show, which is averaging. 
reaching 1.3 million viewers and inching closer and closer to uh, Ellen. I don't know. I think this is a really big interesting thing i don't think we're going to see ellen in in the same way that we saw her last you know in these probably years before i think a chapter may be ending yeah and it happens it does and i mean what about the other shows like drew's show no or, one's really watching drew's show uh or even though she the did show just, you were on tamarin tamarin don't forget it tamarin Hall. well i know i was just <laughs> 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 with ryan mitchell thank you uh at w- what time is that on uh, that's at well, it depends on where you yeah. where you live. So, but I, I do think there is some uh, new women in town, and they aren't lesbian. Um, and I don't know if people are just over Ellen. Let me know. Are you over Ellen? Are you even watching like you maybe used to? Hit us up, LGT Show. We are ChannelQ.com to check out any of the stories that I'm covering today as well. I got more tea report coming up next hour. Okay, now coming up on the show, eating too late or snacking late at night? Yep, me too. Well, when you should stop eating before bed, that's next. Late at night is not the only time she's snacking. (laughs) You know, we're not about any sort of shaming here, food shaming or anything. Uh, And we're all guilty of eating all hours and noshing throughout the day. I don't know why you keep using plural uh, language here. (laughs) I never once said any of that. Well, we want to talk about, I want to talk about Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. eating before bed because uh, there are, there's certain things that are are good for your body and not good for your body, including digestion and how it impacts your sleep and everything. And joining us right now is Beth Dorfler, a registered dietitian and clinical research specialist at Northwestern Medicine uh, to get into this topic with us. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. What a fun topic. Yes, exactly. Uh, Well, you talk about it all the time, and it's something that we all do. (laughs) So what time should you stop eating for the day? Yeah, I mean, there's no perfect number, but one that I typically suggest to people is roughly 7 p.m., 7.30. I certainly have clients that say, you know, Beth, I don't really get done with my day until then. So I can't possibly start eating till closer to eight. You know, I think the goal is that you one, pick a cutoff time that you're going to say, okay, I'm going to be done by this time. And then two, that you kind of make a, like a negotiation with yourself about, you know, what, what you don't want to be eating after, let's say seven o'clock, seven 30, eight o'clock. It sounds like it's like kind of like the keto thing. I don't, you know, I feel like there's that new fad where everyone's doing the keto diet where you eat in between mm-hmm. a certain amount of hours. Is that kind mm-hmm. of like the, this is what you're kind of not recommending, but the, what we should kind of be thinking about is eating in these, these hours, specific hours. Yeah, it's a, it's a great distinction because I think when you, when we're talking about nutrition, there's really two core concepts. One is what we're eating and that's uh, keto kind of falls into that. I I don't recommend keto and we can certainly talk more about that. Mm. But the other piece is how people eat and the eating behavior has a lot to do with your eating schedule. Um, So the difference there too is keto really advocates for very low carbohydrate, really high fat. I think there's room for a lot of variability in what makes up a healthy diet, what people eat, but the eating behaviors have more to do with setting these kind of patterns of eating and cutting yourself off by a certain time. What if you, you're going to bed at 1 a.m.? Could you eat later if you're going to bed later? Or is, is there any sort of like hours in between eating that and going to bed? Awful. You know, like, does that make sense? <laughs> Meaning, so if you're, totally. going to, if you're going to bed earlier and you're eating right close to when you're, you're going to bed, that's bad, but there could be a way to make it work. 
Yeah, it's such an important question because I certainly have a lot of clients that are like, I'm night owls, I work late, I'm up late doing things. And that's certainly reasonable. I think the way to look at that is a good rule of thumb is that, you know, stopping eating three to four hours before bed is really ideal. But one other thing I would really encourage us to think about is when we are up late and we're working or we're watching movies or we're having fun with our friends, you know, we, we're not exactly, uh, you know, things that we eat past seven or eight o'clock at night sometimes are things that are higher in fat and less healthy for us. So it's important if we are eating late to really be conscientious of uh, that that's the time we really want to be looking at things that fuel our body. Yeah, you know, I, I appreciate everything you're saying, but I know me and I know I'm probably still going to snack when I want to. What are your snacks? So what, what, are, what, are the, what are some good snacks to snack if I still want to snack in, at night? Yeah, fair. So, um, you know, one thing I often encourage my clients to think about is, of course, fruits and vegetables are like the backbone here. You know, it's really hard to be an impulsive eater when it comes to eating produce. You know, we don't generally eat, you know, carrot sticks and feel like we lose control with the bag of carrot sticks. So I think produce is something that's really important to anchor our meals around. And for that matter, you know, other plant-based things like a handful of nuts, it's certainly reasonable to have a piece of cheese or a boiled egg if you want something like that. Snack foods that can be a little addictive, I like for people to skirt those up to earlier in the day. Because at night when we're tired, we're stressed out, we're relaxed at home, that's where we can really do a lot of impulsive eating that some of us, you know, feel badly about or we might regret the next day. Yeah, like popcorn's also good, I think. Yeah, popcorn's actually or, You know what I do? Pickles, too. I will eat a whole thing of pickles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, some of those pickled pickled vegetables, uh, pickles themselves, those can absolutely be a great savory snack. Ryan isn't impressed. No, no. I mean, I, I, I just the effort it takes to boil an egg and then have it as a pre-boiled now at the the supermarket. But I appreciate you so much. You're so helpful and wonderful. We need to get her back to talk about eating earlier in the day because I do like kale chips. I love kale chips. There you go. That's been my like little savory snack. Well, thank you so much for being here. Beth Dorfler is Thank a, you for having uh, me. Yeah, registered dietitian, clinical research specialist at Northwestern Medicine. Have a great rest of your day. Coming up on the show, why we keep hearing about the religious community being against the Equality Act, but that's not necessarily all fact. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Many of the right uh, have been pushing the narrative that the Equality Act viciously attacks Christians. And you would think that the entire religion is pretty much against it, but that's just not the case. Uh, Joining us is John Gallagher, LGBTQ Nation political correspondent who wrote about this. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So why is this narrative being pushed so hard? Why aren't we seeing any sort of, um, you know, diversion from that? Well, uh, the short answer is the squeaky wheel gets the coverage. And, you know, certainly the religious right has been the squeaky wheel when it comes to the Equality Act. Yeah, but I, I do wonder, is there some validity to a point that like that, right? Because Christianity has been known, I mean, it's written in the Bible, it's always kind of spearheaded, this anti-queer rhetoric. Uh, it does feel like it is. It makes sense that there, you know, Christianity is kind of being put into this back box as a, a religion that does not accept queer folks. Well, yes, that's 
perfectly legitimate. And it, there's a long and dark history of um, religion being used and Christianity in particular being used to oppress LGBTQ people. Um, that said, you know, the number of uh the number of folks in, you know, who proclaim themselves to be Christian, but who are actually sort of align themselves with like uh, the conservative evangelical movement is a lot smaller than anyone would think. And those are the people who have really been making the most noise around the Equality Act, that and a cadre of conservative Catholics. So, and this is good to know, which is why we wanted to have you here. So what are the the groups that we need to be paying attention to who are supporting it? If we have also <sighs> talked about... A, a lot of groups that are not supporting it, but let's put a focus on the others that you say the media aren't covering. Well, there's the Evangelical Lutheran Church um, in America, which is about 4 million pe- uh, people who are members. Then uh, there's the Episcopal Church, which, of course, is significantly larger. Um, the And I would say that, you know, even within denominations that are, you know, considered to be anti-LGBTQ, like the Catholic Church, there's a lot of disparity between the hierarchy and the folks in the pews. So just looking, for example, at Catholics when it came to marriage equality, Catholics in the pews were actually more likely to be supportive of marriage equality than the general population. So they're more liberal than you think. It's just the people who are talking for them are not. Yeah, I wonder, should we be separating organized religion versus spirituality? Because it does seem like organized religion has, like I said, has been weaponized not only towards queer folks, but it's also been weaponized when it comes to racism. Um, it, it, when you really kind of look at the history of it. And so I... I, I I guess I, I wonder, should we be saying that people are more spiritual? Are you seeing more people say, I'm actually more spiritual than I am whatever organized religion exists out there? Yes, that is actually the case. And it's, that those numbers have been growing significantly over time. So actually about a quarter of the population in the U.S. now identify themselves as having no particular religious affiliation. And those numbers have been growing substantially over time while the number who identify themselves as Christian in particular have been declining. So it's really a trend that's heading that more people are what they call nuns, not in the sense of wimples and veils, but having no affiliation than, um, than are uh, becoming Christians. So there, there is a real long-term issue for Christianity in this country um, in terms of declining membership yeah, across it, the board, and that's and that's going to have major political implications. I think this just reminds me of like what we saw when Trump was in office, like what in the GOP party saying, you know, we're, we're just regular Republicans. Like I don't I don't subscribe to Trumpism. But to be honest, it feels like they're one in one because if you have something in a larger group that has the microphone and they're saying this is what we represent, and that's kind of reflective of the the religion or whatever it is, our po- political party, it kind of feels like well is that not what it is if that if the people who have the the mic are the loudest it's kind of like that's who's representing unfortunately everyone and i i think about that in that way i i think that's correct and i think the the flip side of that is that that's the reason why the numbers are declining particularly among younger people um there's a really big drop off of the number of younger people who are identifying themselves as christians uh so you know the number of folks who who are of millennials who say that they have no affiliation is like 40 percent and in the long term you know particularly if you're you know a republican party that's so closely aligned 
to the religious right. That's another big problem because you're not going to get this. You're not going to get votes. And, and in part, the way the religious right has handled things like marriage equality and the Equality Act is the reason why so many young people are turned off yeah. by it and not yeah. willing to belong to those members of those denominations. Wow. Well, you said it and hope to have you back. That was John Gallagher, LGBTQ Nation's political correspondent. Great conversation. Yeah, thanks again. Thank you. Coming up on the show, Ryan's COVID-19 vaccine story. Our own Ryan Mitchell got the vaccine. What happens next? Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Uh, so as everyone's getting the COVID-19 vaccine, uh, we've been hearing all the stories. Our own Ryan Mitchell got it today. Yes, Breaking I news. did. I did. And so we want to know what's going on. How are you feeling? How did it go down? Do you really want to know? Yeah, uh, no, I'm just asking. Okay, oh, so it's like okay. really intense, right? So I got the shot. I went into the space. I, I, I just called my insurance and they said, oh, you're qualified. This is like the one time, like I said, being fat and being uh, having asthma really wins for me. I know a lot of fat phobic people probably wish they were fat right now so they can get their vaccines. I'm just saying. But I walked in. I got my vaccine. Um, they shot me in my arm. Um, and I didn't even feel it, to be quite honest. I mean, if, if the process was really quick. I what just had to, arm? My left arm. Which she asked me, which arm did I prefer? And I said, well, to be honest, I'm right-handed, but I do everything with my left hand. And she was like, okay, but what arm do you prefer? Because she asked me, which arm? And so I said, my left arm. And so she just did it. She pricked me. And then I had to go into a 15-minute like observation area is what they called it. It literally felt like I was E.T. Were there other people there? There were. There were tons of other people. It's not Wait, just old what? people. So you're inside. You're all wearing masks. Yes. And... For 15 minutes? 15 minutes. You got to sit socially distanced. And actually... It's enough room to do that? Yeah, because it, it felt like it was in a parking lot. Like, oh, it, it was. was like in okay. a big parking okay, lot, it. right? And so um, I sit there. I'm like, all right, we're cool. Like, I, 15 minutes going by. I'm like, okay, I got to get ready. I got to start getting ready for work. Um, I feel great until now. Oh. I feel like I'm telling you, I feel like I'm dying. Well, what do you feel? Um, I, my head's hurting. I, I just needed my music back because I feel like I just needed, um, support here. Like I'm getting a little emotional. Um, yeah, my head is hurting. Actually, I haven't. I've heard scary stories from other friends who have gotten Moderna. I'm a Moderna girl, by the way. I forgot. It always to tell feels everyone. like an aunt. Aunt um, Moderna. Aunt Moderna. She shot me up. Dolly Parton was is responsible for this. So if I die. Sue her ass for me, please. I was going to say in honor of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, yeah, my head hurts right now, but I'm not sure because I only ate like a little bit of something earlier. Mm. So that might be it. Um, but I've had friends who've had Moderna. They've had fevers. Oh. They've had cold sweats. All of these things. So we'll see. We'll see if I'm alive tomorrow. Um, if not, I guess that's it. Best of luck to us. <laughs> I guess that's it. And that's my story. I think everyone, though, on a serious, serious note, please get vaccinated. I think you'll feel so much better. Um, well, you know what I you think. can do now that you're vaccinated? What? Ha get a sex? free Krispy oh, no. Kreme donut. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is basically, if you if you think Krispy Kreme donuts are like sex, then yeah, that's the same You'll exact thing. You'll be orgasming thing. every Where's moment. Where's the nearest Krispy? I need to go. They said if you show your vaccine card, you can get a Krispy Kreme donut. <laughs> okay.
Okay, I have it in the car. I'm getting my donut. Okay, uh, let us know your vaccine stories at LGT Shows, where you can find us on social media. And yeah. coming up next, we've got What's Trending This Hour. More updates on the shooting in Boulder, Colorado. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, uh, coming up on the show, everyone is dragging Biden over firing staffers for their cannabis use. Why, that doesn't even make sense. We're going to be talking about that this hour. And the future of making tech queer and trans friendly coming up in 30 minutes. Yeah, Biden actually has me, going back to that, Biden has me really upset with him about that. You know, I, I don't think it's a good decision. And I don't think now in 2021 is the appropriate time to be super moderate. Yeah, and it also doesn't make sense considering it's legal where they are. They said it was okay. And so the question is, will this come back and bite him, right? And the implications of this. So we have Richard Fowler joining us for that, who's um, our favorite Fox News contributor because he's on the right side there. We're wrapping up. Uh, And right now we've got an update from the shooting that happened in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, Just an update that authorities did respond to what they said was an active shooter at a supermarket there. A man was taken out of the store in handcuffs by police. police. There was no immediate word on any injuries. Several law enforcement agencies, including the state SWAT team, uh, quickly arrived at the scene. And I know we're waiting for a press conference right now. Yeah, CNN saying that it's going to be happening soon. Um, And so, yeah, we may be hopping in. And, and letting you hear a little bit of that, but we're gonna we're gonna figure it out. It's it's still crazy happening on the scene. So much is going on right now still. Yeah, and this is an update from NBCnews.com. Federal and local law enforcement investigations investigators have yet to find concrete evidence that would be enough to build a federal hate crime case against the man accused of killing eight people at three Atlanta area spas. Uh, That's according to several law enforcement officials. The suspect was charged Wednesday with eight counts of murder. Six of the victims were women of Asian descent, and the suspect is white. Uh, The lack of evidence was first reported by the AP. And uh, the first step, if you're wondering, in assessing a potential hate crime is for the local U.S. attorney to direct the Atlanta office of the FBI to open a preliminary investigation into the matter. But so far, no directive has been given because... uh, after probing electronic devices and conducting interview, interviews, investigators have seen no evidence leading in that direction. Hate crime charges would be filed later if evidence supporting a prosecution is found, which is really unfortunate because it seems like many of us are split on this. Uh, and it means that it won't happen. And the hate crime bill is actually something that's been debated for a long time. And advocates have asked for changes to be made because of the biases around these investigations that happen. So that's really unfortunate. But we'll be continuing to cover the story as it happens, and that's what's trending this hour. All right, cool. Uh, so we're going to dive into the tea report. We just didn't know. We, you know, you got clips and stuff. No, that was from the Krispy Kreme thing. It okay. was a previous one, but we already talked about it. You didn't that. want to play the Kamala one? Oh, do we have that? Yeah, okay. Oh, I see that. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, you know, because of what's happening in Boulder, we thought we were going to be going to that. But we have some other content to bring you right now. Uh, VP Kamala Harris has responded to everything that's happening on the border right now. And here's what she had to say. Yeah, I mean, first of all, we we were left with a very challenging situation. And, um, you know, let me start by saying I think we all agree. and, And Secretary Mayorkas said it a number of times this weekend. Let's get these kids out of CBP custody, get them into HHS custody. 
Um, we've got to treat this issue in a way that is reflective of our values as Americans and do it in a way that is fair and is humane. Um, and, and, but we have to, to meet the moment. And there's a lot of work going into that. And, um, and we expect to have success. But it's going to take a lot of work. I mean, again, we were presented when we came in with some serious challenges. Yeah, I mean, first of all... We- so, again, trying to explain what's happening as this becomes a bit of a gap for the Biden administration. Obviously, they were not given uh, the whole situation with the best circumstances. And so there's a lot of repair that needs to be done. But hopefully they'll take accountability and there will be some solutions very soon. And that was what's trending this hour officially. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so Angelina Jolie claims that she has proof of Brad Pitt's alleged domestic violence. Y'all, this is intense. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So the Jolie and Pitt divorce saga has taken yet another turn. According to legal documents attained by uh, Us Weekly, uh, Jolie um, claims to have proof and authority in support her domestic abuse claims against her estranged husband. Um, The filing, which was submitted on March 12th, states that Angelina is willing to testify about the alleged abuse uh, along with testimony about her and uh, Pitt's six kids. They have six children together. And uh, Brad Pitt is reportedly seeking 50-50 custody of their minor children. This is really intense when children are involved and you're talking about domestic violence and all these things happening. Like... I mean, Angelina says she has proof. This is her story. I'm 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 interested in kind of finding out more, but also I can't help but think about the kids. Yeah, and this is they've been divorced for a while and going through this. Why would this not have been brought up early? I, this is like her final card. Yeah, and so that okay, so that's really interesting that you brought this up, right? Because uh the a source told um us weekly that this is something that she kind of does in spite, like as in spite of like Brad Pitt, like she's trying to kind of throw this out as her last little card on the table. Mm. But I think these are strong claims. Angelina knows. I feel like I hope she would know the the depth and uh, the the severity of something like this. But you also never know because we what we saw with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Amber Heard was also being super abusive as well, and it was like very manipulative into a lot of things that was going on when it comes to these celebrity couples. So I'm. Sure, honey, but that is your tea report. I have covered a lot on today's show. Head over to WeirdChannelQ.com to find out all the stories and even more about this Angelina thing because I think this is going to be most definitely developing. Hit us up at LGT Show. Keep the conversation going. And, uh, honey, I'm done spilling. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yeah. Yes, Queen. Cataluna Enriquez has made history by becoming the first out transgender woman ever to win the Miss Silver State USA beauty pageant. It's the state's largest preliminary competition, which is amazing. And because she won, she's going to go on to compete in the Miss Nevada USA pageant. And if she wins that, she'll compete for Miss USA. And if she wins that, she'll go on to Miss Universe. I love that. Which one is the, um, I can't remember which one is the one that's owned by Trump. I, I don't want her to, Miss Universe? Wow, I don't want her to go through that drama. But I believe she can do it. If she is already breaking barriers, then she is strong enough to handle the world. And so I'm super excited to see where her pageant journey takes her. Well, yeah, and uh, according to this article in LGBTQ Nation, uh, she's 27. Okay. She previously competed in a 2016 transgender pageant, but she began competing in cisgender pageants last year, and she is now using 
using her platform, partly to discuss the challenges she has faced as a trans person and pageant competitor, which is so amazing and so cool. So we want to give her a shout out on the show today. Again, Cataluna Enriquez. Yes, we do. And of course, if you missed it earlier when we talked about the vaccine, I feel like we need to do an extra shout out to Krispy Kreme for doing this because giving out donuts, free donuts mm-hmm. for people who show their vaccination card is an initiative that I would sign up for. Yeah. So and I'm check that hungry. out. Yeah, I mean, would, and can you eat donuts? What do you mean? I'm sure, oh, vegan donuts. There's some good That's vegan That's why I was like, I, I don't know if you can eat donuts, but yeah, okay, cute. Anytime we talk about food, I get hungry. And that does it for our show and our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. Uh, coming up on tomorrow's show, of course, we're updating you on all the stories of the day with what's trending this hour. Plus, uh, the rents for the rich are plummeting. Rents for the poor are rising. Why? I mean, capitalism. Uh, and the uh, depressing irony of young queer women using the word wife. We're going to also be getting into that on the show tomorrow, right here on Channel Q, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific. That's 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern Live. And if you miss any of our shows or our interviews, we post everything as a podcast. So catch up on our podcast and subscribe. Just go to the radio.com app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. And stick around for Love Line, where Dr. Chris will be covering sexual fluidity. Bye, y'all.